Welcome to the Seaswell Podcast. My name is Matt, and today we have Josh Ivey speaking to us on worship. And this week is a little different, and in the room at C12, we stopped at different points throughout the message and worshiped. So if you get to a point where we paused and we worshiped, maybe you want to pause as well, pause the episode, and then go listen to a worship song, and then come back to this podcast. I definitely recommend doing that and practicing worship as you go through this podcast. We hope you are encouraged and guided by today's message. All right, guys. Hey, uh, in case you haven't noticed, we're going to get kicked off a little bit differently. All right. And this being uh, this a little bit differently, uh, I'm going to need your immediate engagement. Okay. Everybody says this means yes. This means no. Can I get your immediate engagement in this? Okay, can I give a round of applause if you're willing to have your immediate engagement with me in this? Thank you very much. All right, so we are in the middle of a series called How To, where we're looking at some of the essential tools necessary to grow in our faith with Jesus Christ. And we've looked at several different topics. We've looked at, uh, we've looked at how to read the Bible, how to protect your time with God. We've looked at how to pray, how to share your story. And tonight, we're going to be talking about how to worship. But we're not going to be just talking about how to worship. We're also going to be talking about why we worship. And we're not going to be just talking about worship. We're actually going to be practicing worship tonight. So the dynamic and the flow of the night is going to look different. Tonight is going to be different. And this is the way it's going to look. I'm going to get up here. I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts for, for about three or four minutes. And then we're going to throw it to the band and we're going to worship the Lord. And then I'm going to get back up and give you a few more thoughts. And then we're going to go worship again, and it's going to stack on top of one another. And our worship is going to get louder and more passionate and more heartfelt throughout the night. So tonight's going to look, look a little bit differently. So can, uh, can you handle me just diving straight into tonight and some of the thoughts? All right. I'm going to hold you to it. Tonight... We're talking about worship. Now, I need to hear from you. I need to hear your voices. And you're going to have to speak very loudly. Raise your hand. Speak loudly. When I say worship, what are some of the things that immediately pop in your mind? Anybody? Yes. Surrender. Okay. Praising Jesus. I heard music back here. All right. Surrender, praising Jesus, music. Anybody else? Yep. Say that again. Obedience, okay. Anybody else? Yes. Praising him for what he's going to do. Yes. Intimacy with God. These are very, y'all are overthinking this a lot. Um, it's very good though. It's actually theologically correct. Yes, sir. Letting go of your anxiety. Okay, very cool. We'll do one more. Singing. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, so those are the thoughts that come to mind when we think about worship. Now, anybody have ever heard of Justin Bieber? Ever? Anybody? Okay, yeah, yeah, calm down, calm down. Um, about eight years ago, when he started getting really, really famous, the girls went freaking nuts, lost their minds. And when I would listen to interviews about you know, the, his fans or believers, uh, I would often hear statements like this. They would say, I worship the ground he walks on. I worship the ground he walks on. What, what does that look like? 
Well, I'll tell you exactly what it looks like. Here's a 60-second clip of people worshiping the ground he walks on. All right. Now, here's what I'm trying to point out. Worship the ground he walks on. That phrase has the term worship in it, but that doesn't look anything like the words y'all just mentioned. So which one is the true definition and true example of worship? Which one? Here's what I'm trying to say. Sometimes we can view worship as a Christian term, and it's not. It's a universal term. In fact, this is what the definition of worship is. We're going to throw it up on the screen right here. Uh, The definition of worship, I believe in faith. The definition of worship, worship is an expression and reverence, an expression of reverence and adoration to a chosen God. Notice it's a little g God, because just because you worship it doesn't mean it's the real God. It's a chosen worship. It is chosen worship. Worship is more than an event or action, and it's more than lights or music. Worship is a position of the heart. Listen, worship exists in everyone's heart. The question is who or what you worship. Everybody worships something because it's hardwired in us by God to worship something. It's impossible to exist and not worship something. So it's not a matter of if you worship, it's a matter of what you worship. And we can worship anything. We can worship stuff. We can worship a house or a car or video games, cell phone. We can worship drama. We can worship hobbies. We can worship a sports team. We can worship success, whether it's money or grades or, or a degree or a career or performance. We can worship people, boyfriend, girlfriend, a spouse, children, celebrities, we can worship anything, but, and this is, listen, whatever gets the priority of our attention and the majority of our affection is the object of our worship. Whatever gets the priority of our attention and the majority of our affection is the object of our worship. And where we worship is also where we get our identity and security from. And you know what else you can worship? You can worship yourself. In fact, that's what pride is. It's the worship of self. It's the exalting of self. And that's why at the core of worship is humility. Because you can't exalt yourself and God at the same time. You choose one or the other. So, we'll do this quick and then we're going to jump into worship. Here's the next question. Why? Why do we worship God? Out of all the things in the universe that we could worship, why do we worship God? We're going to be talking about this throughout the night, but I want to give you the first thought. Why do we worship God? Here's the reason why. Number one, because He is worthy. Can I get an amen? Because He is worthy. Listen, we... 
We do not worship him because of how I feel in the moment. We don't worship him because I like the song. We don't worship him because we like the worship pastor or the band. We worship him simply because he is God and he is worthy. And yes, God has done some amazing things for us. But the things he has done for us isn't what solely makes him worthy of worship. He is worthy simply because of who he is. Even if he did nothing for us, he is worthy of our worship because he is God. He is God. He is Jehovah. He is the Almighty One. He is the Uncreated One. He is Alpha and Omega. He has no beginning. He has no end because he is the beginning and he is the end. He is the one who is high and lifted up rightfully exalted on the throne of thrones. He is the one who is holy, robed in unparalleled majesty and beauty. He is the creator of all things. Earth is his footstool, and he holds heaven in his hands. There is nothing else on earth that compares to the worthiness of God. In fact, Revelation 4, 9 says this, in this, in this passage is describing heaven. This is a glimpse of heaven. And this is what it says. Whenever the living beings gave glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, and the 24 elders, that represents believers, the 24 elders, fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, and they lay down their own crowns before him and say, you are worthy, O Lord our God. You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive honor, glory, and honor, and power. For you created all things, and they exist because you created what you please. Get this. The people crying this were in heaven. They had already gotten a glimpse of eternity. They had gotten a glimpse of eternity. And what they declared, out of all the things that are worthy of praise, there is only one thing worthy of praise, and that is God himself because everything else that has the potential of getting our praise will end up eventually in a graveyard or a junkyard but not our God he is eternal he is good he is worthy so because he is worthy we're going to worship him so this is what I'm going to ask I'm going to ask that you would stand in this moment and our God is worthy of our praise. Amen? Amen? He is worthy of our praise. So in this moment, put all the thoughts and cares of the world to the side. Give him the worship he is worthy of. Now that uh, we've come back a little bit, because I know we started a little bit different, I want to address a few things. First of all, if you are a guest here, uh, or this is one of your first times here, first of all, uh, as a C12 community, we want to say welcome home. Welcome to the family. We're so thankful that you're here. In fact, can we give it up for everybody here that may be here for the very first time? We're thankful that you're here. Also, to tell you a little bit about uh, the environment and culture we have, I greatly value interaction, which means that I'm going to be getting a lot of your responses and a lot of your feedback in this time. So if I'm asking a question, unless it's obviously rhetorical, uh, which is rare, um, then I love to hear your thoughts because your thoughts are often a lot better than mine. So we're going to continue on diving into um, this study of worship. How do we worship? Now, I started with the first point of why we worship. But I'm going to hit pause on that for a second, and I'm actually going to dive next into how to worship, and then I'm going to finish 
with the last few reasons of why we worship. So let's dive into a little bit of how we worship and get practical, okay? Um, I don't know if you've noticed this or not. Maybe you're new to the C12 community, uh, but uh, we love raising our hands in worship to God, right? This means yes, this means no. We love worshiping uh, the Lord together. Now, how many of us in here grew up in a hand-raising church? Okay, how many of us did not grow up in a hand-raising church? Just raise your hands. Okay, yeah, okay. Was it, was it awkward to raise your hands right then? Was it just, yeah, some of us, grew, the reality is uh, this, that uh, for some of us who grew up in a hand-raising church, and we're kind of used to this, uh, or at least we're used to seeing it. For some of us, we didn't. This may be new. It may be weird. I grew up in a hand-raising church. I grew up in a small Baptist church in Mississippi, and I'm talking about they went at it. It got weird at times, but they went at it. In fact, I remember when I uh, brought one of my best friend, the first time he ever went to my church, uh, he did not go to a hand-raising church. Uh, and my best friend uh, is, he well, growing up, he, he was in high school. He was already 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, he was awkwardly tall for a high schooler. And, uh, and he showed up to my hand-raising church and he's looking around, and everybody's just doing this. And he looks at me and is like, what the what is happening right now? Um, and and he, then later, and this was what was interesting, later he asked me, why do you raise your hands? And I didn't know. I was doing it, and I didn't know. And that kind of sent me a, a, on a study of a little bit like the body positions in worship and what they mean and what they represent. So... Um, I want to talk about this a little bit. I want to talk about our body posture in worship. Because C.S. Lewis once said that we would be foolish to think that the position of our bodies does not affect the position of our heart. So, so I want to walk through this a little bit about, uh, about some of the practical meanings of our body position in worship. So first I want to talk about your hands. Everybody, uh, look out in front of you. you got uh, two hands. If you don't, then I'm, I'm sorry. This is going to be very awkward for you. Um, um, this is a true story. Back up. One time I was uh, uh, at Discover Faith. Anybody know Mark Eichen from the Hamilton Mill campus? He used to be my boss. This is a true story at Discover Faith. One time uh, when we were at Central Campus together, uh, there was a gentleman holding a plate of food in one of his hands. And um, Mark literally reaches, reaches out, hey man, do you need a hand? And the guy only had one hand. And Mark turned blood red. And to this day, every time I see him, I'm like, hey, Mark, do you need a hand? Um, and I think we lost the gentleman. I don't think he ever came back. Uh, but uh, I want to talk about our hands for a second, okay? Talk about our hands. So first of all, this is what I want you to realize about your hands. Your hands are an extension of who you are. Your hands are how you interact and engage with the world. And in many ways, your hands are an extension of your heart. Give you an example. Whenever you make an agreement with somebody, what do you do? Shake hands, right? Whenever you're attracted to someone, that awkward, he held my hand moment, she held my hand moment. Why? You hold hands. It's an extension of your heart. Whenever you feel threatened, make a fist. It symbolizes what's going on in your heart. Whenever uh, you approve of something, give them a thumbs up. Whenever somebody cuts you off in traffic, you give them the bur That's not the point. 
What, what, the, the, the point is that our hands, whether we realize it or not, actually symbolize what's taking place in our hearts. It's an extension of our souls. And the same is true in worship. The, even in worship, the position of our hands reveal the position of our heart. In fact, lifting hands in worship is a physical posture of our spiritual attitude. In other words, we use our hands to express our heart to God. And that's why uh, in Lamentations, in Scripture, Lamentations 3, it tells us, let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. Notice he puts them together, our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. And even in Psalm 63, King David says, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. And here's what's interesting about our worship in our hands. The actual position, the actual position of our hands often reveals the posture of our heart. So I want us to take a little bit of time and to um, interpret the position of our hands and what they mean in adoration to God. So this is what I need. I need your participation in making guesses. Okay, there are no wrong answers in this. I value your engagement. So uh, there's several different ways you'll notice we position our hands during worship. All right, here's one of them. Hands up, lifted high, palms up and high. What do you think this means? No. It's good. It's all, keep going, keep going, because it all is wrapped up in surrender. Um, but I value the effort. Giving it all to God, that's one thing it could be. Praise. Lifting up, exactly. Think of it like you're lifting something. It's a celebration. It's an, ex an exaltation of God. You are celebrating. When we are worshiping with our arms out, hands up, we are celebrating who God is. We're saying He is our everything. He is above everything. That's why I even found myself during Waymaker without even knowing it. I'm just sitting here this way. I'm exalting Him for who He is. So that is one position of our hands. Here's another one. Arms up, lifted up, palms open and out. Justin, what does this mean? Surrender. That's right. So there's a difference even in this to this. Think of it like this. Um, this is a terrible analogy, but just go with me on this. Uh, you know, uh, any, um, someone who's ever been chased by a cop. Breeze. This is a position of surrender. In war, when you're captured by somebody, it's this. It's not this. It's, it's this. Listen, when we are surrendering to God in this position, what we're doing is taking our rightful place under God and His authority. What we're saying is His way is better than our ways. I surrender to you, God. This is not a negative surrender. This is the best possible surrender you could ever have is in the arms of Jesus. Surrendering to God. Exaltation, surrender. I never thought I would do so many wrist flips on stage and I'm getting uh, tired. All right, here's another one. Arms out, palms up. Receiving, that's right. 
This is signifying to God that you're in a position to receive the blessing in that which he has for you. It's just like you were receiving a gift. If one of you guys were giving me a gift, some, um, that I would, I would have to receive this. And this does require humility because pride cannot receive gifts. So when, even when we're receiving something from God, we're saying, yes, God, I am receiving what you have for me. Do you know this was the hardest one for me to actually begin practicing? I had a hard time just receiving blessings from God. A lot of it was caused by insecurity. A lot of it was caused by an inaccurate perception of who God is. I had a hard time believing that God wanted to bless me because I knew how jacked up I am. Receiving. Here's the next one. Arms up, palms facing one another. Also known as the field goal. What does this mean? Huh? It's good? No, it does not mean it's good. It does not mean extra point. It does not, not, does not mean... What is this? Huh? What was that? Touchdown, yes. Unless you're Atlanta Falcons, because they can never. I'm saying, you lost Julio Jones. Uh, this, I want you to think, of, this is a posture of the desire to draw near to God. Think of it like this. If you're a little child reaching out for your parents, I, one of my favorite parts of the day is when I come home after a long day of work and I have two little boys, Jagger and Ledger, and I love hearing them run to the front door. And my little boy, Ledger, he's got long, curly, blonde hair. And he'll come up and go, Dada. Dada. And he wants me to pick him up. When he gets scared, something happened which he doesn't scare easily, but when, when he gets scared, he'll run to me. Da, da. This is a symbol I want to draw near. I want you to pick me up. I want you to meet me where I am and lift me up to where you are. Sometimes it's a place of I need comfort. Sometimes it's a place I just need to hear your voice. Sometimes it's a place of rescue. Sometimes it's just a place of hunger. But I want to draw near to God. Exaltation, surrender. Receiving intimacy. Now, what about our body position? Let's talk about that because this is something that we miss often as well. So, let's talk about our body positions. Uh, let's talk about standing because you notice we'll invite you to stand in worship. Why do you think we stand? Give me a couple answers. Why do you think we stand in worship? Was that honor? That's right. It's a show of honor. In respect, it's a holy reverence. Listen, when a king walks into a room, you can't stay seated. This is a demonstration of honor. It's the reason why the president walks in the room, you stand up. It's the reason why you're at a wedding and the bride walks in the room, you stand up. Because what you're symbolizing is, I recognize who just walked in the room. This is a sign of honor, reverence, and respect. This is also a demonstration of awe. Anybody ever been to a football game? Anybody? Like we only got three football fans in here? Okay, cool. Anybody ever watched a football game on the couch? Can we, can we go there? Perfect, good deal. When an awesome play happens, do you stay seated if you're a real fan? No! You're like, 
what? That's awesome. Like you're in awe. What just happened? I remember where I was when the Cubs won the World Series for the first time. I remember that. I was holding Jagger. He was like a, just a couple of months old. And I remember being on the couch. It was like a little past midnight, close to 1 o'clock. And I'm like, oh, they finally did it. Like there's a, uh, like there's a position of awe. Listen, when you're in awe of something, you can't help but to stand. So it's a position of honor and reverence and also a position of awe, recognizing the awesomeness of God. All right, one last body position. What do you think it means to bow? Anybody? What does it mean to bow? What's that? Huh? Mercy? You're asking for mercy? That is part of it. Anybody else? Surrender. It's a position of humility and reverent fear. It is a position of surrender. When we bow in worship, we're recognizing how small and unworthy we are in the presence of a perfect and holy God. The only time you bow to something is when you recognize the awesomeness of what's in front of you. When we bow, it is a position of surrender. It's a position of crying out for mercy. It is a position of holy reverence. In Scripture... Every time somebody entered the fullness of God's presence, they immediately hit their face. Moses in the burning bush. Joshua when he encountered the angel of the Lord. Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 when he saw the throne room of God. When Joseph was encountered by the angel, it said he was trembling in fear. And John in Revelation 2 hit his face. Everybody hit their face and bowed. And then every time God lifted up their face and said, do not fear. Look at me. You recognize the awesomeness of what's in front of you. Now, honor, respect, and awe, reverence. Now, notice this in everything I just talked about in the different hand positions, exaltation, surrender, receiving, drawing near, reverence, and honor, surrender. You know what the uh, common denominator is in all of those? Humility. Every single one of them is rooted in humility. And for worship to be true worship, it's always rooted in humility, recognizing that God is great and we are his creation. He is our creation. Now, I did not communicate this, all the different hand positions, so that you would get stuck in legalism where you're sitting here going, okay, I want to demonstrate this. Am I doing this? Is it the field goal thing? Is it the hold the baby thing? Is it the... What, like, am I doing this right? Don't forget all that. I'm not, I'm not trying to get you caught up in that. God is not evaluating your hand positions. The reason I'm telling you this is to liberate you in saying that if you'll pay attention, if you will worship God in freedom, if you'll pay attention to your body language, it will actually reveal what's going on in your heart. And so that you can even go deeper in prayer through that. Worshiping the Lord. All right. So I want to finish up with these thoughts, then we're going to dive back into worship. I'm going to give you the two last reasons of why we worship Jesus. Here are the two last reasons why we worship Jesus. We worship God. (laughs) Reason number two, we worship God. Because of Jesus. 
We worship God because of Jesus. Listen, our ability to personally worship God was only made possible because of Jesus and what he did on the cross. The only reason we have access to God is because of what Jesus did on the cross. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the high priest was the only person who had permission to go into the presence of God. He did it in this room in the temple that was called the Holy of Holies. And he was only allowed to go into it once a year. But he was the only person allowed to do it. If anybody else tried to enter the presence of God, the presence of God was so thick and so powerful, they would drop dead on the spot. In fact, it was so thick and heavy that they, some historians believe, or it's rumored, that sometimes they would tie a rope around the high priest's leg. Because if he went in there and dropped dead... They would pull his carcass out. It was the presence of God was that real, that thick, and nobody was allowed to do it but the high priest once a year. Now, the Holy of Holies was a small room in the temple, in the inner part of the temple. And covering the Holy of Holies was something called a veil. It was a thick curtain. It measured 30 feet by 30 feet by 30 feet, and it was anywhere between 4 and 6 inches thick. It was a thick curtain, and this curtain symbolized the boundary between God and man. Well, listen, when Jesus died on the cross, Scripture tells us that God himself ripped the veil from top to bottom, meaning that because of Jesus, we now have direct access to God himself and his presence. Because of Jesus, we have direct access to God himself. We have the access to God that for thousands of years the prophets prophesied about and human beings dreamed about. We have that access today. So, This is what it means. It means that when we're worshiping God, when we're singing, we're not singing about God. We're singing to God. Make that shift in your mind. You're not just singing about him. You're singing directly to him. You're not singing about him as if he's a distant, far-off God. You're singing to him as a relational, loving, caring God that is kinder and closer than we could ever imagine. That's what Jesus did for us. You're not having to go through a high priest. He has become our high priest. We're singing to God. No matter how jacked up you are, no matter how messed up you are, you have direct access to God through Jesus Christ. Man, that's a good place for an amen. Man, that's an amen. Anybody who's jacked up in here? Anybody who's jacked up in here? Let's take a poll. Everybody in here is jacked up. You still have access to God. It's not because of your goodness. It's because of his goodness. Here's the third reason why. Third reason why we worship God is because we are desperate for his presence. We are desperate for his presence. Throughout scripture, in church history, we see that people who were desperate for God's presence worshipped him with a reckless abandonment. And we also see that God's presence faithfully follows the authentic praises of his people. 
We don't worship God because we're desperate to feel good about ourselves. We don't worship God because we're desperate to draw attention to ourselves. We don't worship God because we're desperate to satisfy a religious tradition. We worship God because we are desperate for more of Him. We don't worship God because we decided to show up. We worship God because we're desperate for Him to show up. It's based on Him. And when you get desperate enough and hungry enough for something, you'll do anything to get it. In fact, last summer, I was playing golf uh, with some friends that are on staff. It was last June. And... um, It, it, was, it was that time of the year where it was getting hot on the golf course. And, and so we showed up early in the morning, and we get to about hole two or three, and I'm already getting thirsty. I realize I forgot something to drink. So we get to hole four, uh, where the water coolers normally are, and there's a sign on there that says, no water due to COVID. And I'm like, crap, that ain't good. So we get around to the turn to hole nine, and like I am struggling at this point. And I go to the clubhouse to get something else to drink. Clubhouse is closed. We're not selling anything due to COVID. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Now, I am struggling, and I'm with Jason Barry at the time, the lead pastor, so I can't cuss, but I wanted to. <laughs> We get to hole 15. Guys, I wanted to die. I was so ready for the round to be over. I got so desperate for something to drink. But I knew that the moment we finished this round of golf, we were going to go get something to eat afterwards. So the moment we wrapped up this round of golf, I rushed to my truck, threw my clubs in there, and just hauled rear end to the restaurant. I didn't care what anybody thought about me. I didn't care if I looked rude. I didn't care if anybody else was coming with me. I was so desperate for something to drink that I just abandoned everything and went to the restaurant. I walked to the restaurant. The waitress asked, how many people do you need? And I said, I need a table for eight, but before you do anything, I need a glass of sweet tea right now. And she looks at me and goes, are you serious? Yes, uh, just right now. So she goes in the back, pours me a glass of sweet tea. She walks me to the table. Before we get to the table, the sweet tea is gone. I've I've emptied it. And she looks at me and goes, do you want another? And I'm like, is the Pope Catholic? Yes, I want another. (laughs) So she pours me another one. She comes back two minutes later, it's gone. She eventually just take, comes back next time and puts a pitcher of sweet tea in front of me. You know what I didn't do? I did not ask her how much the sweet tea cost. Because I didn't care. I was that desperate for it. Listen, it could have been a hun- that sweet tea could have been $100 and I would have gone out to my truck and dug around for nickels in the front seat. I didn't care. Why? Because I was desperate for it. If I was not desperate for it, the moment it cost over three bucks, I'm out. 
It costs too much. I don't want it. Listen, when you get desperate enough for something, nothing will stop you until you get it. And the same is true with the presence of God. When you get desperate for the presence of God, you don't care what you look like. You don't care what other people think. You don't care if anybody else is coming with you. You're going to pursue him in worship. You're going to go after him and pour yourself out. Because when you go after God with this reckless abandonment in worship, what you're saying is, God, I recognize that you are holy. You can have all of me. I just want all of you. We worship God because we are desperate for his presence. And if you are not desperate for his presence, ask God to make you desperate for his presence. Because it's the greatest hunger you will ever know. So that's why we worship God. We worship God because he is holy. We worship God because of Jesus. We worship God because we are desperate for his presence. Amen? So this is what we're going to do now. We're not going to just talk about it. I want you to stand back up. We're going to worship him because he is worthy and we're desperate for him. So stand up. We're going to go dive back in. Lay everything to the side. Give him everything you've got. So Heavenly Father, we want to come before you. We thank you for being our champion. We thank you that we don't have to be our own champion, Lord. We thank you that you are. We want to thank you of being a God that is worthy of our praise. Lord, we could praise you with every breath we have left on this earth. It, would, it wouldn't still touch what you are worthy of. But until then, we will praise you. So Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to praise you. We're going to stay in this moment of worship for a second, but I, I want to just address you guys and let you know that I'm excited. I'm excited for next week for two reasons. Number one, we are going home to Central Campus starting next week. We're going home. So starting next week, we will be worshiping together at our house, at God's house, at home. We're going back home at Central Campus in Lawrenceville, and it's going to be a party. It's going to be great. Let me give you another reason why I am excited, because next week we're going to be talking about how to conquer shame. It's how to conquer shame. And for some of us in the room who are followers of Jesus, we're going to finally get set free from the shame that has been haunting us for, the re for our entire life. And we're going to walk out of that room next week more free than we've ever experienced. And the second reason is because next week is going to be a salvation moment as well. And people who are far from God are going to meet their, their creator, their savior for the first time. The dead will come to life next week. And I'm excited about that. So next week we're going back home. And next week some of us are coming home. It's going to be a good week. But I also don't want to miss this opportunity. I don't want to wait a week before we give an opportunity to meet Jesus. There's some of us in here who are far from God. Maybe this idea of worship, you've realized you're not as close to him as you would like to be. Maybe there's a distance there. You don't know him like we're talking about. Listen, we're going to worship one more song. In this song, you can start a relationship with Jesus. This is what it looks like. He goes, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe that you are the Son of God. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I surrender to you. Belief, repentance, surrender.
and you can start a relationship with him tonight. So we're going to worship him for just a few more minutes and we're going to go to him because the wonder of our God, the majestic wonder. So Heavenly Father, we're going to go at it one last time tonight. We thank you for being a wondrous God. Lord, in Isaiah 6, the angels sang so loud that the foundations of the temple shook. Lord, may we shake this room tonight in holy worship to you because you are worthy. Oh, how wondrous you are. So, Lord, we lift our voice. We lift our hearts. We lift you. In Jesus' name, amen. Worship well. Thank you for listening to the C12 Podcast today. I hope that you take some time to think about worship differently now after you've heard this message and that you would apply some of these things that you learned in this message today. As you heard Josh share at the end of the message, we are going to be moving back to Central. I'm super excited and I know that you are as well, so I would love to see you there next week. And we're moving back home and so we hope that you join us there at Central Campus next week at 7.30. And we're going to be talking about how to walk free of shame as we continue in our how-to series. And so hope to see you there next week at C12. And if you have any questions about C12, you can always reach out to us on Instagram at C12Stone. And that's the best way to find us. We hope you are encouraged and guided by today's message.